For those of you that are familiar with us, most Sundays uh, we are in the mid. We're in like in the middle of a series where it's multiple weeks, and we're working through a series to try and drill deep. Whoever, whether it's me or someone else, whoever's communicating from the stage, we're trying to drill deep on a big idea from Scripture so that it takes root in in your heart, in your day-to-day life, and in your relationships, in your personal pursuit of a deeper relationship with God. But this first Sunday in 2020, I just want to talk. Uh, And if you're fairly new to this community, you're going to learn a lot about what motivates me because motives matter, right? And because motives matter, and in the end, uh, we're going to talk about what, what, it's what keeps me up at night. It's what weighs on me every single day and what drives me and keeps my passion fire hot. And it's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. Every single one of you. So I decided to begin this new decade uh, talking about what's on my heart for our church and for you and for your role in it. And I would like to do this around, uh, originally this message was going to be wishful thinking, uh, but after like this song, like no, it's going to be high hopes. So like my five high hopes for you that if you and I were sitting together over a beverage and we were talking and you were to say to me, okay, Chad, like you started this thing and you're pastor and pastor of this thing. Why? What are you trying to accomplish? What, what, do you hope, what do you hope or expect to be happening in my life? And so I want to talk about these high, five high hopes, these five things that I would happen in you and through you just because you've decided to be engaged somehow with this community. And that uh, things that will make your relationship and your faith journey and your relationships more fulfilling, more exciting. Uh, because if you're a Jesus follower and it's boring... I hate to tell you this, but you're not doing it right. Okay, you're, you're not, because maybe it was what you were taught, or maybe I have failed. Maybe I have failed in my attempts to inspire and equip you, because when you decide to follow Jesus, and you understand what's going on, it is never boring. In fact, it is life-giving, but sometimes it's a little terrifying, And sometimes it can be really testing, but many times it can be very exciting. And one of the many reasons, uh, one of the reasons many in Wichita left or they quit going to church or maybe growing up their families quit going to church or their parents is because it became very boring or it became very flat. Or they were presented with a character of Jesus that did not align with the God of Jesus. And it's not that they quit believing everything, it's just that things stopped seeming so relevant. And if the Christian faith doesn't seem relevant, then again, something's wrong. But it's not with the Christian faith. It's certainly not with Jesus. It may just be about one's approach. And these five things kind of address this. And I'll tell you up front, the first one is going to take the longest. But when, So when I finish number one, they'll go, oh man, like four times whatever that took. Like I'm going to be here all day and the Baptists are going to beat me to the restaurants. Like just like I promise I have a clock and I'm going to stick to it, okay? So the first, my first high hope for you is I hope for you a courageous act of obedience that costs you something. In fact, starting next week, you need to invite someone to come and sit with you. You don't want to miss any Sunday in January as we begin a series called Tough as Nails, where we're going to spend time on unpacking a version of faith that is actually worthy of the price that was paid. But my high hope for you is that you enter this new year, not just this new year, but this new decade, but that at some point this year, every once in a while, in your faith journey, that you would feel an internal nudge from God that's a little bit scary, 
Maybe it's a little bit terrifying because you know it's going to cost you something where it may take a while to decide, was that really God or was that just the spicy tacos? Uh, you know, that every one of you would have this internal nudge to do something, an act of obedience that pushes you out of your comfort zone. Because if we're honest, many of us are kind of risk adverse. Some of it, we kind of welcome it, we love it, but most of us, we don't necessarily welcome it. But an act of, act of obedience, and, it, and it's not something that you manufacture. It's not like, okay, I'm going to come up with an idea, and then I'm going to jump, and I'm going to go, okay, God, catch me. Like, okay, I, like I came up with this great idea, I took the leap, and now, God, you're responsible to make it all work out. That's not Christianity. That's Hogwarts. Okay, this isn't some, like, name it, claim it, and if I just believe hard enough, it's going to happen. I'm, not, I'm talking about that thing that possibly you already know what it is. You know what I'm talking about because maybe it's something that you've been wrestling with for a while. It's something that when you're alone in your thoughts, it kind of comes crashing in. Maybe it's that thing when you pray and it just comes to mind every once in a while. It's something or someone or some circumstance and it triggers this internal thing. It, it triggers this internal sense of knowing that you're supposed to do or not do something or to start something or to start uh, stop something. A pastor I worked for years ago called this a holy discontent. It's something that you try to ignore or you push it, try to push it out of your mind, but you can't get away from it, yet you don't do it because you're scared and you don't know what the outcome will be. But here's the thing, saying yes to God is almost always scary because you're not sure how it's going to turn out and you're in, 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 but but this is how every single one of you takes your next step with God. It's, it's how you go deeper as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, and you begin to experience all that God has for you. And this is a simple fact. Until you're willing to take that step, your faith will become or remain stagnant, boring, or impotent this side of heaven. I'm going to say that again. Until you're willing to take that next step, your faith will become or remain stagnant, boring, or impotent this side of heaven. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way. He said, faith by itself, it is, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And in some of you, you have experienced lifeless faith. In fact, some of you, if you're honest, you'd say, I'm kind of there right now. Sometimes in, in, in Christianity, we say things like, I want deeper faith, or I want to go deep as a Christian. I've had people say to me, you know, I want deeper preaching. Like, the sermons around here are just way too simple and applicable. Like, I want to learn deep stuff. I want to leave a little afraid, maybe a little confused, maybe a little convicted or ashamed. And, and I want a church that goes deep. Now, the problem is, that's a misunderstanding of deep when it comes to the Christian life. In the Christian life, deep is not information Deep is transformation that comes from personal obedience and action. And pretty much every single Sunday, whoever's up here, we preach and we teach one big idea for personal application to equip you, to equip you to act and experience incremental life transformation. Think of the Christians that you may have the most respect for. Even if you'd say, like, I'm not quite yet a Christian. You've got Christians in your life you respect. Maybe it was a grandfather or a neighbor or a parent or a coworker, that person that you met. And what makes them deep? What makes you respect them? It's not how much Bible they know. It's, it, it, it's the kind of courageous life and selfless love 
that they live and that they show. So again, it's not information, it's transformation that it results from me saying yes to God and no to me. What is deep? Deep is when you can't touch bottom, right? Deep is when you're in over your head. Deep, deep is obedience with no guaranteed outcome. It's when you say yes to God in, 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 in such a way that like, you don't know the outcome. And here's the thing. When you do that and decide you're going to go deep, no one will have to tell you to pray. No one will, you will pray more. You will pray more intently. You will listen more attentively. You will show up to church earlier. We begin at 10 on the dot every week. But some of you, that 10 is like, well, that's when I leave the house because you're not really a singer. You're not really a music person. But one Sunday, you're going to come in and actually catch a song. And it'll be a song that we've been singing for the last three years. And you're, you're going to get emotional. You're going to turn to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fiance, or your husband or wife and go, man, I love that song. And they're like, first off, you don't like music. And secondly, like you, we've been singing that song for three years, but, but the words are suddenly going to light up your heart. Why? Because you're in this moment in this season of vulnerability where you are doing exactly what you know God wants you to do, even though it's a little scary. And what God wants you to do, and you're in that beautiful place where you are personally and actively dependent on God. You're experiencing this amazing thing where your obedience or your expression of faithfulness to God intersects with God's faithfulness. Right there in that intersection, something happens inside of you, and you never get over it. I've personally experienced this so many times. As a pastor, as your pastor, I want that for you. I want that for every single one of you, because if you go too long without one of these, your faith will get stale and it will get flat. You'll be a bit bored. You'll be unmotivated. You may even become a little cynical. And your Heavenly Father wants more for you. And He wants more for me. And for some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, some of you, you're kind of hating this message because you know there's something that God wants you to do. He wants you to do something. And He wants to do something in you and through you. And here's the reality. You will never know what's at stake until you take that step. For some of you, there, there's something in your life that's beginning to master you, and it's toxic in your life. It, it's time for you to come clean and deal with it. There's some, something you need to walk away from. For some of you, it's not a thing, but a who. That there's someone in your life that they're slowly killing your soul, and they're toxic in, your, in this relationship. For some of you, it's a job you need to leave. For some of it, it's a job you need to take. And some of you, you have an opportunity and you're scared to death and you need to say yes. For some of you, what, 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 what keeps coming back to you is foster care or respite care or being a foster parent because uh, we have been very close to foster parents. We have done some respite care. I will guarantee you, your faith will go deep because you will be in over your head and you're going to pray like crazy and read the Bible like crazy. Nobody's going to have to tell you to get close to God because you'll be like, get close to God. I don't even know that I could sin right now. I'm so close to God. I'm so over my head. And some of you, some of you, you need to get out of the country. In fact, I've had the opportunity to serve um, on a mission trip in Haiti and in Africa. And I was convinced every American should get out of this country at least once. And what you don't, may not know is that with our connection to North Point Community Church in Atlanta, we have access to what's called their Global X Trips. And in 2020, you could go and serve with partners in Uganda and Kenya and Guatemala and Costa Rica and Honduras and El Salvador. 
And I know you're busy. I know life is complicated, but that's the point. God's message is you will never know. You will never know what I would do in you and through you if you don't get up and do what I'm calling you to do. Some of you, you've heard me talk about the importance of getting into authentic community with a smaller group of people around you. And you say, you know, I really need to do that. I really need to do that, need to do that. But you don't. You don't. You have every reason in, in the world to not do. And you're doing life alone. And you keep people at what you think is a safe distance. But what we don't realize when we do that is we're actually keeping them at a dangerous distance because we're trying to do life alone. And as the writer in the Old Testament says, pity the one who falls and there's no one there to help them up. For some of you, it's time to test drive one of our serving teams. And deep down, you know it every time we talk about it. Or you feel God nudging you to be more generous with your resources that he's entrusted to you. And put it to, the, put it to work for the benefit of others through this community or another organization. You know, one day when Jesus is, he's walking along with his guys. And there was always a crowd where Jesus went. And there's this one day, there's been a guy, he's been in the crowd. And Jesus turns to him and actually looks him in the eye and gives him the invitation of a lifetime, because he's already been following from a distance, and Jesus gives this invitation to come closer. He turns to him and says, follow me, follow me. And this guy has no idea what hangs in the balance of his response to Jesus. And he says, Lord, first. Lord, I, I mean you're important. I know you're really important, but first. And that's the problem right there. But first, let me go bury my father, which sounds like a reasonable request, except that his father hadn't even died yet, and odds are he probably wasn't even sick. And how do we know that? Because if he's traipsing around with Jesus, and every commentator agrees, this guy's father hasn't died yet. In fact, he's probably not even sick. He's probably just getting older. Maybe he's nearing the end of his life. But this is this guy's way of saying, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, I've got business I need to take care of. I'm busy. I got stuff to do. I got things I need to accomplish. And when I get things worked and sorted out, then I'll follow you. And you know what this guy's name was? No, you don't. And neither do I. Nobody does. Nobody does. Why? Because this guy made excuses to avoid what God was asking and inviting him to do and to be a part of. Don't be that guy. Now, Again, I'm not asking you to do something irresponsible. I'm not asking you to manufacture, to just come up with something. I'm simply asking you to give in what you probably already know God's calling you to do. What your heavenly father wants you to do. This isn't about making stuff up. This is about surrendering. So back to our guy. When, when you measure what this guy gained by hesitating against what he lost by hesitating, no comparison. And this sounds kind of harsh. Jesus' response sounds kind of harsh, but it's not as harsh as we think it is. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you, go. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And to be clear, what Jesus is asking or prompting you to do is different than what he was asking this guy to do. He, he's probably not asking you to go into full-time ministry and to preach. For many of you, that's a relief. Uh, the point is simply, don't miss the opportunity to follow. Because what you gain by hesitating and making excuses does not compare with what you gain if you say yes to your Heavenly Father, if you say yes and you obey. 
A great example of this is almost nine years ago, a Wichita woman read a newspaper story covering the trial of a pimp and a John in the case of a 13-year-old girl that was being trafficked. Right here in our city. And this article changed her life. Uh, about a month ago, I asked her about it, and she said that after reading this article, something happened inside of her, and she said it this way. The only way to describe it is, I can't not do something. I didn't know what I needed to do at that point, but I knew that nothing wasn't an option anymore. And what resulted was the start of an amazing organization called ICT SOS right here in Wichita. It's an effective Wichita-based organization. It acts as a liaison between local professionals and organizations that work with at-risk or trafficked youth or adults, and then local volunteers to prevent and fight sex trafficking and to bring hope and healing to victims. And the cool thing is, we have partnered with ICTOSOS since we launched three years ago, and kind of a cool thing I realized at the end of last year is over half the staff has come from this community. I think that's pretty awesome. So I'm telling you, we don't know what hangs in the balance, but oftentimes it's not a what, it's a who. And I don't want you to miss out on what God has for you. Now, number two high hope I have for you is the thrill of knowing that you are instrumental in someone making the decision to follow Jesus. In other words, I want somebody in the world, other than a family member, when they tell their story of faith, of how their faith journey started or restarted, that they name you by name. I want for every one of you at some point along the way in the coming year or the coming years to be in here on a Sunday morning during a baptism service and during somebody's video where they share their story as to why they are getting baptized, that they would mention you by name because you were one or the one that invested in their life, invited them to church, that you were the person that maybe you first gave them that book and then you made the time to have an ongoing conversation about what was in it. Or you were the one that you invited them to begin meeting with you at lunch or maybe come to your small group, even you knew, though you knew that they weren't necessarily a person of faith, but you were willing to take that risk. That you were the person that you were willing and courageous enough to have that awkward conversation about faith and God and that combined with things, other things that God had done and other things, people that God had brought into their life. And now they're following Jesus and you are a part of that story. You are a part of their story. I want all of you to be a part of someone's story because of what it does for them and because of what it does for you. You will never be more aware of or more dependent on God than when you are trying to build bridges with others, when you're consistently reaching out, when you're extending that awkward invitation, you're going to pray. You're going to pray harder. You'll get your friends praying because tomorrow I'm going to give her that book or I'm going to invite him to lunch or you're going to invite them to church. You're going to be so dependent on God, you will be in the deep end. And at the end of the day, they'll listen and they will thank you for the rest of their life. And you will feel so emotional because you will know that you were a part of their story. And for some of you, it's why you need to start a small group. And maybe don't just think this like standard, like cookie cutter, eight to 12 people on a Wednesday night. Uh, and maybe, maybe for you, it's not with a bunch of other Christians. 
Maybe you get a bunch of your pagan friends together, your pagan co-workers together, and you start getting together for lunch. You start meeting them for an after-work beverage, friends that are open to authentic, just spiritual searching and discussion and building relationship. For some of you, it's as simple as inviting that neighbor or that person from work or that woman that works four doors or four cubes down. And you've talked many times, and there's even been some times she's asked some interesting questions. She's expressed that she's actually kind of interested in faith issues. And you're scared, but you need to engage. In fact, let me ask you this, and this may be a little convicting, but when was the last time that you showed up at New Life or any church nervous? You showed up nervous because you invited someone and they said, okay. Or you were nervous because you were bringing someone or you were meeting them here and you're thinking, Chad, better get it right. Uh, and because let's be honest, you, you, most of you, you don't really pray for me unless you're bringing somebody to church. Then it's like, okay, and you're not really praying for me. It's like, make him get it right. I want the music to be no glitches. Everything's great, you know, and I, I, I don't want it to be corny and weird and we need to get out on time and it needs to be funny, but not too funny, spiritual, but not too spiritual. My, my point is, when was the last time that you sought to intentionally persuade someone to come and sit with you in church? I mean, do you understand why we do what we do the way we do? It's, it's not just for Christians. I mean, one of our core values is we are a movement, that we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for others. It's, if this were just about information, transfer, then we don't need to do all this work. We can just stay home and watch online. The reason we do what we do the way we do, it isn't just for Christians. It's for people that need an introduction, not to me, but to you. And to ultimately a resurrected Jesus. And when was the last time you offered to buy someone lunch or have them over for lunch if they just came and sat with you in church? You will feel so close to God. You will worry so much that we get it right. And you will view new life. You will view your church in a completely different way. You'll feel completely out of control. It will be awesome. I want that for you. I want that for you. Plus, every week, we need every single one of you to see everything that we do through the eyes of the people in your life, that they're unchurched, they're de-churched, they walked away from church. Because around 70% of this city is made up of people that do not know or understand or embrace the good news of Jesus. And if we're not doing something about that, we are not on mission. We together exist to be a catalyst for positive change in our city and to introduce people ultimately to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So third one, a high hope I have for you, and that's the freedom and the joy that comes from organizing your financial world around three words. Give, save, live. It's the freedom and the joy that comes from organizing your entire financial wor world around these three words. Give first, save second, live on the rest. Give first, save second, live on the rest. Sadly, this was something that Sean and I it took, we didn't learn until, in my mind, it was like way, way too late in life. Uh, it wasn't until about 11 years ago when a guy named Dave Ramsey came and spoke at our church in Chicago. And many of you, you've heard that name. 
Uh, he was engaging, and everything that he said was not only funny, but it made sense. And uh, though we had been consistent in our priority percentage giving uh, to the work of the church, we were not so good at the rest. Uh, we were like most Americans. We were squeaking by, living check to check. We weren't really saving anything. Like most Americans, we had auto debt. We had consumer debt. Uh, but after hearing him speak, and then we read Total Money Makeover, which I highly, highly recommend. In fact, I actually have two financial peace books that the first ones to tackle me afterwards, you can have them if you will read them. Uh, but uh, we read this, and within a year, within 12 months, we eliminated about $30,000 in debt. Uh, part of the way we did that, as painful as it was, is I took my nice, new, shiny, tinted window, sunroof, shiny Honda that I was very, very fond of, and I sold it, and I went and bought a 1991 Mazda Protégé 5-speed, which is built in millennial uh, theft control. Uh, I, I bought it for $1,500 cash. I brought it home. My, my sons were so embarrassed by that car. Best investment I ever made. Not just because it embarrassed them, but it saved a lot of money. And then before moving from Chicago to here, we literally sold two-thirds of our belongings and we bought a home that most people would consider like a starter home and just drastically downsized. We embraced a new lifestyle that didn't have us living check to check. It gave us financial margin and breathing room and the ability to give and save and then live. The target percentages that we were, learned, that we were, we were taught was give at least 10%, save at least 20%, live on the rest. Now, for some of you, I know that you're on a fixed income or you're in a financial situation right now in your life where there's no way you can do those percentages, but that's not the point. It's about priorities. And also, the message isn't having stuff is bad. This, this isn't about not having stuff. It's about your stuff not having you. As I used to tell my sons as they were growing up is that if your happiness depends on what you have, you will never be happy. So no matter how much or how little you have, if your stuff has you, you will have no peace. And I want you to have peace. And peace doesn't come from stuff. And you're smart enough to know this. Peace comes from a clear conscience with our Heavenly Father. Peace comes from knowing that you're in the center of God's will. And you can't be in the center of God's will if your stuff has priority in your life. And, you don't, and again, don't interpret this as, uh, I want your money, or the church needs all your money. I mean, yes, the, our ability to do most of what we do is connected to you and I being generous and giving and pooling our resources. But that's not my point. My point is that I want, and your Heavenly Father wants you to have freedom and joy in your finances. So it's give, save, live. God, you're first, I'm second, and I will figure out how to live on the rest. And I'm just telling you, I know firsthand, it's just better. And as I continue to learn, uh, learn this principle and drive in, uh, I've realized what we do with our stuff is an indicator of who our Lord is. And Jesus could not have been any clearer. Jesus said so much about money. And one of his most famous statements is brilliant. It's, <laughs> says, for where your treasure is, where your stuff is, where your money is, where what you value most is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So if you want to know where my heart is, you just need to look at my bills. You just need to look at my register. 
If I want to know where your heart is, I just look at your online spending or your Amazon, Amazon Prime account history. And it's the same for you and me. It's the same, same for both of us. If your money is just about you and your family, then you and I are just about me and my family. And it doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. Here's something I can promise. If you live any of this in reverse order, there will always be a grinding sense of dissatisfaction and discontentment. Because you were created by God for God, not for stuff. And besides, you're going to run out of time before you run out of stuff. And for nearly all of us, we're going to face a time in our life where we would give away all of our stuff if it would give us more time. Because you know, and I know, that our life and our time is more valuable than our stuff. And so your Heavenly Father is going, exactly. So why would you not dial into the one who has control over your time and how to make that time fruitful? Because this is a lordship issue. And your Heavenly Father will not have all of you until he has all of your stuff. And I want you to be free from the control of money and stuff. But the only way to get there is to have a plan. And a plan for how to support the local church financially. Every Christian at least should have a plan for how they intend to support the local church financially. Even if it's not new life. You don't trust me? Trust us? Fine. Give somewhere else. There are great churches and great organizations in Wichita to support. And many of you, many of you, if you're like the average American, and I know most of you are above average, you, you don't have a spending plan, let alone a giving plan. A spending plan is a term for another horrible two-syllable two word, word that none of us like. What is it? A budget. Yes. Oh, I hate that. But here, here let me make you a promise. If you will start with a giving plan you will end up with a spending plan. And this will be better. Because if you try to develop a spending plan without a giving plan, I promise it won't work. Give, save, and then live on the rest. So I wish for and have high hopes for all of you to organize your finances around that, even if you never give a dime here. I just want you to know the thrill and the freedom and the peace and the joy of knowing that you are fully your Heavenly Father's because you have given Him access to what we tend to find our identity in, and that you would all experience financial freedom and then experience how that impacts every relationship and everything else in your life. So high hope for, I hope for you to daily engage the Bible, especially the New Testament. To daily engage these documents that we have free, unhindered access to on paper, and online it, with the YouVersion Bible app in languages we can all understand to daily engage this collection of manuscripts that we call the Bible that was written over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages. And it is the intimate details of the story, our story written and de delivered to us primarily by the eyewitnesses and the investigators of events, including the brother of Jesus. It answers the ultimate question, the ultimate question of what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? How should I live my life? How do I make these decisions day to day? The New Testament shares the intimate details of the life and the words and the teachings and the actions of Jesus, which gives us incredible insight into how we live and experience life in the full People felt these documents were so valuable that thousands throughout history have given their lives so that these words were sure to be put into our hands. 
While it sounds counterintuitive, the challenge, unfortunately for us, for you and I as Americans, is freedom. What I mean is this. What we don't have to work for, strive for, or fight for, we don't value as much. It's human nature. Any of us that have raised teenagers, we know this. You know, the difference between buying and giving your teenager a car versus them having to work, sweat for, and earn that car, there is then a direct correlation to how well they take care of that car. I mean, it's true of anything that we ever own if we have to work for it versus we have to just have it or it's just given to us. This is true for all of us. A year and a half ago, we had a young lady from Vietnam up here, and she shared her story. She did the whole message, actually. Part of what she didn't get to share was that in her village growing up, this was just a few years ago. This wasn't decades or 100 years ago. A few years ago, as she's growing up in this village in Vietnam where there's incredible hostility towards anything Christian, and her parents were Christians, and they and the other Christians in that village, they had bits and pieces, just bits and pieces, of the Bible in Vietnamese, and it was, they were so precious to them, they had them hidden in the lining of their clothing. And there would be raids by the police, and her parents were in prison because they just had pieces of the Bible. They had scraps of the Bible, but to them they were so very precious, they were worth going to prison for. And there are fellow Christians and Jesus followers around the globe, and they would be astonished that we have such free and unhindered access to these precious texts, and for the most part, we ignore them. My high hope for you in 2020 is that you would begin to engage the Bible on a daily basis, especially the New Testament, because I believe that over time, you will fall in love with a text like so many of us have and it will enrich your life and your faith and your relationships in unexpected ways. There are quick and easy accesses to, to reading plans, especially with the YouVersion Bible app. They're like built in. So as we start this new decade, that you would begin to engage the Bible, begin to truly learn who you are in God's eyes, who he's created you to be, how to live, fall in love with it. I want that for you. Now here's the last high hope. It's for you to take your next step in your faith journey. For a few of you, you still struggle to believe any of this, but you're curious. You, 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 or you believe some of it, but, and you, or you like being a part of this community, but you still have questions. Uh, or you grew up in a church and had a bad church experience, or your parents did. Uh, my hope for you is that you would keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, that you would at least continue to take baby steps because the invitation that Jesus uh, extended in the first century is the one that he still extends every single day of our lives. It's anyone who is willing to listen, follow me. It's why we say all the time that we are a community where you can belong before you believe, and you can belong before you believe, you can belong and you can follow before you believe. And we know that this is true because everyone in the first century who followed Jesus, they followed before they knew who he was, before they had it all figured out. And you know what their faith did? Exactly what ours does. Sometimes it was up and sometimes it was down. You, you, some of his followers followed, and then they unfollowed, and they followed again. 
And our invitation and your Heavenly Father's invitation is the same. Would you follow before you believe, before you have all your questions answered? Uh, would you, as you get those answered questions, uh, your questions answered? Because following Jesus will make your life better and it will make you better at life. Because Jesus is who he claimed to be. For others of you, you are a follower, maybe for decades. And I'm going to wrap up by circling back. For you too, it's time for you to take your next step in your faith journey. There has been something that God has been prompting you to do or to quit doing. And then to involve others in that decision. Because we all know we can make a commitment to do something, but if we don't involve others the odds are quite a bit lower that we'll actually follow through. Odds are you know what it is and you have 21 excuses to why you can't seem to get to it, why you avoid it, why you, why you forget it, or you don't have time, why you're procrastinating on taking action, or you're afraid. You're afraid because you know it will disrupt your life, your regularly scheduled and planned life. You're afraid because you can't predict the outcome or you can't predict how others around you will respond. You're afraid it will complicate your life, but it's time to quit with the excuses and the procrastination. It's time to take that next step. And maybe it's not that huge. In fact, I considered giving you a challenge to eliminate three things from your life this month and add one. So I intended it, so I think I'm actually doing it. Uh, some of you, your plates are too full. They just are. They're filled with things that aren't in and of themselves bad. It's just that there's just too many. And they don't really add value to your life. Rather, they steal bits and pieces of valuable time and emotional energy from your life. And it detracts from the more important and valuable things and people in your life. I'll invite the, as the band comes up, I'm going to close with an example. Before the new year, I... I was to determined to do something, and that was to drastically reduce social media in my life. And uh, so I removed Instagram from my phone, and I invited my wife into something she was really excited about. Uh, again, I, so I felt convicted, I felt nudged that I was spending most nights far too much precious time on meaningless social media. And so uh, I had gotten in the habit of where I would go to bed and I would start scrolling. And before you know it, 30 minutes go by, 40 minutes, an hour goes by. And uh, was my life any better at the end of that time? No. Uh, so I felt nudged that I was spending, you can take that back. I felt nudged that uh, I was spending way too much time on my phone and doing this. And uh, I could spend this time better either connecting with my wife or reading or a novel idea, sleeping getting more rest. So I asked Shauna to help. And so I asked her, I said, honey, if you see me laying in bed and I'm on social media, I very quietly want you to go and get the spray bottle that we use for our dog when she won't stop barking. And I want you very quietly to approach me in bed and then spray me in my face without mercy. <laughs> she was a little too excited to help out. Like, should we do a test run with this? And so but my point is this, uh, already I'm seeing the benefits of it. I've not gotten sprayed in the face yet. It's just simply to give you an example, we're all in this together. 
We're all in this together. And, and what God may be nudging and prompting you to do or stop doing, maybe it's a little thing. Maybe it's just a few little things, but it would make such a difference. Maybe it's a big, scary thing. But he's given you a holy discontent. That is your next step. If you don't take it, you don't know what you're going to miss out on, and your faith is going to become stagnant. So that's it. My high hopes for each of you, that you would, uh, each of you would pay attention and act on those nudgings, those promptings from God, that you would act whether it cost you a little or it cost you a lot, that you would be in someone's life this year a mouthpiece or an invitation piece in their life that ultimately leads them to faith in Christ, that you don't miss that opportunity, that you would come up with a plan to get involved financially with what God wants to do in this world, and that you would begin to engage the Bible, especially the New Testament, and, get, and just discover all that there is to discover, and that ultimately that you would figure out that thing that is your next step, that you probably already know what it is and what a great time, the beginning of a year, the beginning of a decade to take that step. So the band is going to sing this song. And I, it really summarizes everything that we've talked about. In part, one of the verses, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. And then in the chorus, open my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill, fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Let's stand and sing.